5: hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah.
4: From Hollywood, it's time
3: now for... $90. Leave
4: the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting.
3: Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, Bob Bailey stars as Detective George Valentine on Let George Do It from 1951. Then, Rosemary Clooney and Joe Venuti make a guest appearance on The Bing Crosby Show from 1952. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What
1: is up, Carl?
3: Mike, look at the dimples. I see them. Gosh. Gosh. A little wow. hard for me to miss. Did you bring the spackle? Not. Today. Well, you keep talking
1: about it. Either need, do it or
3: need to. You know. <laughs> oh, I'm poor, <gonna>, guys. <laughs> I'm gonna do it. <laughs> you all, can't right. The <laughs> <laughs> all right. Don't worry about that. All right. Well, it's good to see you, Lisa. Thank you.
1: It's good to see you, Carl. Yeah.
3: Well, you know what? We have a good detective adventure to start things off with. Let George do it. This series came to radio in 1946, lasted until 1954. Bob Bailey starred as George Valentine, a tough guy detective who prioritized his job above all else. He ran a newspaper ad. Did you know that? Lisa? saw a newspaper ad that said, Personal notice dangers my stock and trade. If the job's too tough for you to handle, you've got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details. His secretary reminded me a lot of you. She was smart and sassy. Her name was Claire Brooks, also known as Brooksy, played by Virginia Gregg. It was sponsored by Standard Oil, and it was a very good detective uh, adventure. And we have an episode now called How Guilty Can You Get? This is from February 19th, 1951, part one now of Let George Do It. Personal notice, danger's my stock and trade.
6: If the job's too tough for you to handle, you got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full
2: details. Greetings, mystery lover. Time for another Let George Do It adventure. Our target for terror is entitled, How Guilty Can You Get? Or arsenic, and old lies. It all has to do with the sudden demise of a rich old codger, which is, of course, nothing new. However, the planning that went into Operation pump is quite novel, as you will discover for yourself in practically nothing flat.
4: My dear Mr. Valentine, I am one of the richest men in Sand Hill Center. As a Ring character might say, I've made my pile, ha-ha. There's nothing that makes a man as nervous and unhappy as a million dollars. Ha, ha. Yes, you will laugh. You won't believe my fears. You won't believe what kind of woman my wife is. You won't even believe she might be carrying on and plotting with another man. Well, you'd better believe that and come to see me immediately. Or Sand Hill Center may be without the services of its only millionaire. After all I've given to this town, the one thing I don't want to give them is the pleasure of enjoying my funeral. Yours for a long life. Ha, ha. Signed, Fred Vincent Liggett.
7: Yes. Yes, my husband's at home. Why?
6: Well, uh, I'm George Valentine. This is Miss Claire Brooks, my assistant.
7: Oh, yes, yes. Of course you're Mr. Valentine. Well, may we come in? I don't know. I'm not sure. You see, I'm Mrs... Ligget.
6: Yes, so I gathered.
7: The wife of the millionaire. The wife of the man who made his pile in Sandhill Center. What's the matter? Did I say something wrong?
6: Uh, no, of course not. But if you'd please tell your husband that we're here...
7: Yours for a long life. Ha, ha. Oh, yes, come in. Come right in. Join the party. You seem to know all about it. All about my husband's mail, you mean, don't you? I just read it. Look. Here it is. The carbon copy from his pocket.
0: Oh, I...
6: Well, uh, look, Mrs. Liggett... Such a
7: funny letter, wasn't it? Ha, ha. Such a funny man, my husband. So well-liked, so admired, so trusting. So able to see what other people are up to. So willing to believe the best about people. Wait, wait a minute.
8: Please, Mrs. Liggett. I know how it
7: must make you feel to read what he's written about oh, you. Oh, but... but to go prying, to read his mail. But I am reading all of the things in his pockets. You walk in here the moment I've just been reading them. Mrs. Liggett, them Because please. the sheriff wanted me to read everything. He told me to look, too. To look at all the nice things... My husband ever wrote about Stop anybody? Stop what I said, please, Sheriff. Huh? Yes, yes, of course. Because I've already done it, don't you see? Well, what else could you see? What else could you think? Go on in there. Go see my husband. He's dead. <laughs>
2: Mrs. Liggett's been running around here like a chicken with her head cut off. Yeah, well, Miss Brooks'll try to calm her down a little, Sheriff. I just want to know what happened. Called around to the neighbors to try to get help. I've only been here myself a few minutes. Medical examiner's on his way from the city. Uh huh. She
6: found him just lying here, huh?
2: Poisoned. I don't know much, but I know that much. Look at his face. Sure, poisoned. That doesn't mean anybody did it, necessarily. Look at the glass. That's what he took it in. Uh, White powder of some kind. Must have tried to get to the phone. Hey, what's that bottle you're waving around? Prescription. Center drugstore. Found it in the bathroom. Showed it to her and she fell apart. What do you mean? What do you think I mean? Mrs. Liggett admitted she measured this stuff and gave it to him in a glass of milk. Well, if it's a doctor's prescription... Her name's also on the drugstore receipt for it. She bought it. But if she... He drank a glass of milk. That doesn't mean he knew what was in it, does it? Oh. So you've got a
6: suspicious nature, too, huh?
2: Well, the first thing I seen in his pocket was that letter to you. What would you think? Hey, give me that bottle. Prescription number 537...
4: 53785. What about it? Well, hello, Mr. Manx. None of that mister stuff with me. Deputy brought me right out, Bill. He says you're climbing out on a limb and making... This is accus- Mr.
2: Valentine, Ed Manx. Owns the
4: center drugstore. Hello. Now, listen here, Bill... Your deputy's going over the books to check that prescription. In 17 years, my place has never been accused nobody's of anything. Nobody's accusing you of anything, Andy. Be quiet, will you? The boy mixed that. It's his initials. He's brand new this week, but he knows his stuff. He's a trained pharmacist. I've watched him. He don't make mistakes.
2: Nobody said anybody
6: so made it. So you to go
4: popping off accusing people, saying it's poison for my drugstore that caused I this whole said thing. I no, Hold accusing... it, hold it, both
6: of you, will you? So far as I can see, Sheriff, you don't even know this is a murder yet.
4: Ha, huh. that's what I said the minute I heard the rumors. Just because nobody liked Liggett, just because he had too much money and too many bad jokes. Skip it, will you?
6: Was Liggett sick that he needed medicine regularly? No. Yes. Ha!
4: There, you see. Right off the bat, you go off half cocked. was the matter with him? Pretty bad case of anemia. Ask his wife. She's picked up medicine for him every week for the past oh, several her weeks. Her
2: again? His wife
4: did. Did she? Well, what have you got against her? Holy smoke, Bill! Who is Liggett's doctor? Who wrote that prescription? Nichols. Everett Nichols. Only one in town. Yes, and my file's got that prescription in Nichols' own handwriting. The same number stamped right on it. Five, three, seven, eight, five. Here, let me see the bottle. Yeah, look all you want. Huh. Practically full. Dose is a teaspoon, it said. Well, what are you trying to say? She gave him an overdose? She couldn't. There's no more than a spoonful taken out of there. All right, all right, Ed. But I don't get it. Poison? Sure, it's poison. Doc Nichols' prescription will show that. Same as the boy who mixed it. Your deputy's getting him now. All right, all right. Wait a second, Banks.
6: All you're doing is confirming whatever the sheriff thinks. So what is it, Buster?
2: What don't we know? Ed, you've seen how the Liggetts were getting along. You mean headed for a divorce? I mean her running around all the time. <laughs> well, I can't say as I blame her. Liggett was no charmer. Doc Nichols is. Oh? Ambitious man, Doc Nichols. And seeing as how Liggett mentioned something about a man in that letter to you, Mr. Valentine... Well, maybe she's gone out to the club dancing a few times with Nichols, but that don't it mean it. I don't she... like my job either, but I find a man obviously poisoned. Hadn't eaten nothing since breakfast a long time back. Takes milk with a high-powered prescription in it, given to him by his wife. Picked up at the store by his wife. Well, she did do most of the driving in the family. No, I know. Prescribed by a doctor who had an eye on their money... A doctor I should have brought here right now to tell us the things we don't know. Hey,
6: clear that up, will you? Why didn't you get him?
2: Because I can't, Mr. Valentine. He's not at his office. (laughs) He's got a place in the country. I phoned. I got the neighbor to check. He's not there either. Mm, Why bother with details? The point is, the doctor's disappeared. And at a time like this, disappearing don't look good.
7: How should I know where Dr. Nichols is? I don't know anything about him. The sheriff says you've gone out a few times with him. Of course that's what the sheriff says. I don't blame him. The rich man's wife who goes out with other men. It's not nice. No matter what your husband's like, no matter how separated you are, no matter how much of a gentleman the doctor all might right,
6: be. Mrs. Leggett, all right. I gather your husband wasn't much of a guy to live with, but
7: I haven't seen Dr. Nichols for days and
8: days. All right, skip it. Tell Mr Valentine what you told me about Mr. Leggett. He was always suspicious of her, George. Suspicious of everybody. Why should I tell him that? He wouldn't believe me. Her husband told other people that he didn't trust her. That he was afraid someday she might try to get rid of him. Of course.
7: Naturally. I'm a murderess. Ask the sheriff.
6: <sighs> Look, Mrs. Liggett, I know it's tough. Before we even know the facts, everybody jumps to a conclusion. Why? Well, because I'm here. Because your husband wrote to me.
7: Because Fred picked the time he did to write you one of his ridiculous letters. Yes. In a way, it is your fault that I'm in trouble.
6: Yeah. You mean now it's up to me to get you out of trouble, huh? To prove it wasn't murder. Yes. All right, don't worry. I was hired on this case, so I'll go on with it.
9: Mister, I only answer Dr. Nichols' telephone. I don't read his mind. It's Miss Boggs who's his nurse.
8: But the sheriff says his nurse was off duty. She always is on Saturday morning. Well, so
9: was I after 10 o'clock. The telephone exchange takes over after then.
6: 10 o'clock. That's when Dr. Nichols left?
9: Exactly. We walked out together, and he didn't tell me he was going
8: anyplace special. And that's the last you saw of him, Miss Broom. The last anybody saw of him.
9: Here,
6: yeah, let's see the list of phone calls, then. That's the last one. Hemlock number, yesterday afternoon. That's right. You said he had patients. He was
9: working this morning. Well, that's just you regulars, that's all. It was Cy Benson for his bandage and Widow Morris, that's a heart. Pills for the Jefferson baby and, well, of course, Fred Liggett. Fred Liggett this morning? Well, when do you think he got that prescription? Only if you think that there's anything wrong with any prescription that Dr. Nichols... I'm
6: not the sheriff, Miss Broome. Hmm.
9: Well, it's a pity you're not. And I'll tell you another thing. The doctor, maybe he took Mrs. Liggett out once or twice, but he'd never get mixed up with a
8: woman like that.
6: Oh, you don't think so much of her either, huh?
8: I didn't say that. Hemlock, Mm 8339, in the phone book. Just looking up that last number yesterday afternoon, George. It's it's the Liggett number.
9: Well, all right, what of it? It was her phone, the doctor. So what? That don't mean anything. Maybe to talk about the weather, what of it? Well,
8: nothing. Except she was so careful not to mention it to us, George. Yeah. And now, what do you think you're doing?
6: Still looking for the doctor. Uh,
9: Well, supper time. If I know him, he'll be back home by supper time. That
6: crazy sheriff,
9: saying he's disappeared just because he can't
2: find him right Hello.
6: Way. Oh, hello. Let me talk to Mrs... Yes,
2: Valentine.
6: Oh, it's you, Sheriff. I
2: came back to meet the medical examiner.
6: Good. I'll be right back.
2: No, you won't. This thing's mixed up enough as it is. I'm leaving for the country. What? You know, I told you the doc's country place was empty. Well, I got a man out there says his desk and everything are all cleaned up, just like a man does when he leaves town, runs away.
6: All right, Sheriff, tell me later.
2: I know I'm wrong, because he didn't disappear. Huh? Doc Nichols, he's lying across that desk, dead. And now, back to George Valentine. How guilty can you get? Well, the sheriff in Sand Hill Center seems to feel that Mrs. Liggett must be very guilty indeed. And why? Because just before his death, her husband wrote you a letter accusing her of all sorts of things. Another man in her life, for instance. The sheriff thinks that might be Dr. Nichols, the same doctor who prescribed poison for Fred Liggett. The only trouble is, now Dr. Nichols is dead, too. And if your name is George Valentine, you know it's not going to be quite as easy as you once thought to prove this was not a murder case. That you, Valentine? Yeah, right here, Sheriff. Thanks for waiting. Are you ready to go? It's a good 15 miles out there to the country place. Hey, wait a
8: minute. Uh, who's this?
2: Oh, Dr. Milliken, City Police. Oh, hello, Doctor. What was it? Miss Brooks, Mr. Valentine. How do you, How you do? Here? You mean the poison? Strychnine, I think. The hospital's running some tests for me. Strictness. I'm the prescription, and Ed Manx found me that. And the boy who made it up confirmed it. It's Nichols' handwriting, all right. So a doctor just prescribes poison right in the open, and a wife gives it to her husband in a glass of milk. Couldn't be called medicine for him by the farthest stretch of the imagination. And it couldn't be called sensible either until Nichols turned up dead. What do you mean? Well, suppose Nichols was being used and didn't know it. Or pressured into writing the thing. That's the easiest explanation. I wouldn't guess. And I'm all through guessing, too. So come on. This time, we're not even going to open our mouths until we know what the facts are. Deputy out at Nichols hasn't touched the thing. Waiting for us right now. I, uh, I changed my mind. Leave me out. Yeah, you guys go out there. I'll follow you. All right, all right. Come on,
6: Doc. Step
2: on it. Okay.
8: George, why don't you want to go along?
6: Oh, I don't know, Angel. Except that I'd rather talk to a woman than a corpse any day.
7: Valentine, I assure you I've never been mixed up in any way with Dr. Nichols. I don't know anything about it. Any more than I really know anything about my husband's you, death. You, uh,
6: telephoned the doctor yesterday afternoon. You didn't tell us about that earlier.
7: Didn't I? No. Well, I had the car and I had to do some shopping. Fred was late and couldn't go to the doctor's.
6: You mean he was supposed to have gone yesterday instead of this morning? Yes,
7: I phoned Dr. Nichols to change the appointment, that's all. You...
6: Brother, what's the matter with me? Strychnine. What? Sure, of course. Look, look, what do you know about your husband's illness? About any treatment he's taken or anything? Well,
7: any... I, I really haven't paid too much attention, I'm afraid. I, I know it's anemia, well, but- Oh, skip
6: it, never mind. What
7: on earth are you talking about? Morris.
6: Morris, that's it. The widow Morris. A lady with a heart. you expect to find? I don't know, Angel. See if she's in first.
8: That's well, the only Morris in the phone book, but if you'd waited until I called Miss Gruen... I didn't we want to been...
6: wait for anything, Angel. I don't know much about medicine, but I know enough to... Uh-oh. Come on.
8: The well, lights aren't on.
6: Mrs. Morris? Mrs. Morris? I well, hear the switches are...
8: <gasps> Poison.
6: Sure. The same expression on her face. Just
8: like Fred Liggett.
6: Been dead for several hours, I guess. Now, look, here we are. Bottle. White powder.
8: What, George?
6: see, it's a prescription. Bought today. Strickland? The same No, no, thing? no. Strickland wouldn't have hurt Mrs. Morris here any, would it? Woman being treated for heart trouble? It's a common method of treatment, in fact. George! Yeah, yeah. Now you begin to get it. Suppose Fred Liggett, who didn't have heart trouble, got the wrong medicine. And the widow Morris you here... You mean the
8: prescriptions were mixed. And he was being treated with something that she got and that killed her.
6: Anemia he had, wasn't it? Oh,
8: but George, no, a doctor couldn't make a mistake like that. It's impossible. That's what
6: I always thought until right now. And
8: why would he himself have been killed? The doctor, I mean.
6: Let's get out there with the sheriff before he buries all the evidence. Because maybe the doctor's death was just as simple, Angel. Maybe we can wind this one up fast.
2: Yes, Mr. Valentine, quite possible. Anemia is sometimes treated with arsenic, and it can be taken orally. Look, uh, she was an old woman,
6: Dr. Milliken. Had a bad heart anyway. It wouldn't have taken much exactly. to... Exactly.
2: I'll get down there as fast as I can. Okay, thanks. Well, Sheriff. Well, Valentine, look for yourself. I told you before, I'm all through playing detective. When did Nichols die? Don't know for sure, but a little time after the other two, apparently... Lying across the desk here, arm outstretched, no, you're doing fine. You're one jump ahead of me on the gun in the wastebasket, one shot, uh-huh. he had plenty of time to learn about Liggett and that Morris woman in case he didn't already know wastebasket right beside the desk, funny guy, Nichols, ambitious, very proud of himself, his standing in the community, his reputation, his career, right arm outstretched, huh. Out over the edge, like this. Sure, sure, right handed. You know, I said earlier his stuff looked all arranged. Done in a hurry, but sort of like a man who's leaving town suddenly. Or a man who fired a single shot. Gun drops from his hand into the wastebasket, and then he slumps forward on the desk. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to go through the motions. I already done it. But you said a long time ago it might not be murder. I was guessing. Now you're not. Because if Liggett and Morris were mistakes, the most horrible mistakes I ever heard of, and I guess this proves it, doesn't it? When the doctor whose fault it was commits suicide. That's it. Just look at the evidence. That's what happened. Hmm.
3: Suicide. So that's how it ends. That's the first portion of Let George Do It. More after these words. More
2: Hollywood 360 after these important messages.
3: Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of May, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Escape Volume 1, featuring 12 exciting tales of high adventure. Escape Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for half price, only $9.99 this month only. Also on sale during May is The Life of Riley Volume 1, featuring 12 comedy episodes starring William Bendix. The Life of Riley Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but it's yours for half price, price only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Escape Volume 1 and The Life of Riley Volume 1 at 50% off their regular price. In June, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during May. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order, and while you're there, download an episode of Suspense starring Cary Grant. Absolutely free is our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to Let George Do It.
7: Oh, the poor man. Poor, poor man. Think how he must have felt when he found out, when he realized what he...
6: Yeah, yeah, the mistake was his, all right. Wasn't the drugstore's fault. You pharmacist on duty. He didn't know the people. He
7: wouldn't have caught it.
8: Just think how Dr. Nichols oh, must you have... pretty upset by this, too, Mrs. Lickett.
7: You were blamed for a while. Well, everyone knew how Fred and I were. I, I can't blame anyone for jumping to conclusions. No, no.
6: And your husband's letter to me and my coming here threw you into a blue panic, too, didn't it?
7: Well, I wouldn't exactly say panic. I, I think I must have been mostly hysterical well, I'd over... say
6: panic. Why not? It was the first thing that started to upset your plan. By what? Well, isn't that what you'd call it? When you plot your husband's death? When you almost get away with it?
7: Mr. Valentine, I'm sure Just to be
6: accurate, I'll say you and the boyfriend. He obviously did most of it.
8: Did most of what, George? For heaven's sake. There'd
6: been gossip about her and the doctor, her and several other guys, as a matter of fact. But if there was a real boyfriend, and they were plotting to get rid of Liggett, you don't think they'd let the gossips in on it, do you?
7: Just whom are you referring to?
6: The only man it could be to pull off the most involved but simple crime I ever heard of, Ed Manx, the druggist. Who else? (laughs) Oh, sure, very funny. Go ahead laugh. But there's a little too much coincidence for my blood. Ed Manx had a new pharmacist filling prescriptions today. Now, why?
7: I'm sure I haven't the slightest idea.
6: Manx is a pharmacist himself. For 17 years, he said. Well, why put the new boy on the same day two people get poison prescriptions filled?
7: How on earth do you think Ed could know that? The widow
6: Morris got a prescription filled every week. Who'd know that? Who'd know there was enough strychnine in it to kill your husband? Who'd know the effect of his medicine on her?
8: George, wait a minute. They'd have nothing against the widow Morris. No reason to want her dead.
6: They wouldn't care whether it killed her or not, Angel. Just her tough luck that it did. The important thing was setting up the doctor's mistake so Manx could get him out to that country place and set up that poor, tragic suicide.
7: No, that's not true.
6: All right, let's get back to the drugstore. The coincidence of both prescriptions being made out and delivered on the same day. You set that up, Mrs. Liggett. There's a record of all the doctor's phone calls, remember? And you were foolish enough to explain the last call in his book yesterday. To explain that you delayed your husband by shopping in town. So could he please come in this morning, just after the widow Morris? There you are. All set up.
7: Stop it. I won't listen to you. The kid's
6: on his way out here now, the pharmacist. Because as I got it, Manx gave him those prescriptions to make up a delivery.
7: No, he didn't. I'm sure he didn't. What did
6: you say? How could you know anything about that?
7: I, I don't. Of course I don't. How could I? You're trying to mix me up, that's all.
6: And why should that bother you? Ingredients have to be there before they can be mixed, Lady. Oh,
7: stop it, stop it, Sure, stop
6: sure, it. go ahead, get hysterical. Maybe you'll pull another horrible mistake like you did this afternoon. What? <laughs> Running around like a chicken with a head cut off, as the sheriff put it. Screaming to the neighbors for help and so on. And the last call to the doctor was yesterday afternoon.
8: Oh, George, that's right. Yeah, oh.
6: That's what was really important about that list of his phone calls. Mrs. Liggett's husband was dying and she didn't call the doctor.
7: Yes. Yes, I did. But he wasn't there. The
6: exchange he... takes all of his calls for him when he's out. It wasn't on the list.
7: I mean, I, I called his country place direct.
6: Oh, oh, yeah, I see. And how did you know he'd be there? Well,
7: I, I didn't, but... Your husband
6: was dying and you didn't call the doctor. Stop
7: saying that. One of the neighbors called for me, I thought.
6: Sure, sure, every one of them must have offered to do it. But they don't show on his list. So you must have stopped them from calling by saying you'd already tried to reach him, but you didn't.
7: No, I, I mean, yes. Uh, Ed Manx will tell you that. Well,
6: come on, come on now, make up your mind, sister. You didn't want the doctor reached by anyone because Ed was taking him out to be killed, isn't that right? No, oh, that
7: isn't true. He was at the country place by then. He was... He was...
6: Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Come on, trip oh. yourself up a few more times. Stop
7: it! Stop it!
5: Oh, stop it! Please, stop it! <laughs>
8: George, to have killed three people in cold blood. Well, they
6: thought they had to do it, Angel. Small town, her husband's money, and the suspicions he'd advertised. They knew it would take a very slick plan to get rid of Liggett and keep it covered up. But they had their slick plan, all right.
8: Yeah, so slick they fell down on it. But it almost worked, didn't it? I mean, the sheriff believed it. So did I.
6: Well, so did I. till I caught that phone call business. Besides, Angel, it did seem pretty impossible that any doctor could ever mix his prescriptions like that.
8: George, I still don't understand. They were the doctor's prescriptions, and they were made out to the wrong people.
6: Oh, well, Mank switched them, that's all. Take about one word of forgery on each one to keep the new pharmacist from getting them uncrossed. <laughs> and who could forge a word or two better than the guy who for 17 years has had to decipher that gibberish doctor's right on prescriptions?
8: Ooh. How guilty can you get? <laughs>
6: But as much as they were.
8: Yeah. And now Fred Lickett's million dollars goes right back to Sandhill, I
6: suppose. Good place for it. I wouldn't want it. Oh,
8: George, now that's no way to speak of a million dollars. What's no. matter? Are you afraid your wife might be tempted to kill you for it?
6: <laughs> or uh
8: you mean you'd be afraid you might be able to afford a wife?
6: <laughs> Look, if you want to change the subject, um you do it like this. Oh, you... oh darling.
8: But I never really changed the subject.
6: No, no, you don't. It's it's always the same. (laughs) That's what I love about you. You're persistent. Good night, Angel.
2: You have just heard How Guilty Can You Get. Another Let George Do It Adventure. Robert Bailey was starred as George Valentine, with Virginia Gregg as Brooksy. David Victor and Jackson Gillis wrote the story, with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Now this is yours truly, inviting you to another visit with Valentine, when you will again hear what happens
3: when you Let George Do It. And that's Let George Do It from February 19, 1951, with How Guilty Can You Get? Starring Bob Bailey, also in the cast, Virginia Gregg, Ed Begley. You know, Ed Begley Jr. I sure
0: do. That's His daddy
3: right there, Lee Patrick, Joe Forte, and Joseph Duvall. Sponsored by Signal Oil, as heard on Mutual. Hope you enjoyed. Let George do it. Before we tune into the Bing Crosby show, I want to remind all of our listeners about our website, Hollywood360radio.com. Check out our website because there's a podcast there. And our podcast is the full four-hour show. You may not be able to hear the full four-hour show on the radio station you're listening to because not all of our radio stations carry the full four hours. Hopefully they do, but if they don't, you could just go to our website, hollywood360radio.com, at that website. There's all kinds of fun stuff, including thousands and thousands of pictures of Lisa Wolf. Why you would want to look at thousands and thousands of pictures of Lisa Wolf, I'll never know because I don't of the dimples. Know. But yeah, that's but they. that gotta be it. But they're they're there if you do Here's desire to. If you
1: want to go to the website, you can also find our schedule there. So yeah, that that's might be true. more important than the dimples. Probably, I don't know.
3: That's probably more important than probably. thousands of pictures of you. Although you know what, Lisa, you're important. I know. You know, so we yeah. want you to uh, have lots of pictures there. Well, just so site. you, just to be clear, if we went through all the photos and we counted how many that
1: you are in and how many that I am in, yeah, your number is higher.
3: I don't think so. Well, Lisa employs be a game. her own photographer. Well, that's important. Just follows her around wherever yeah. she goes. Well, have a makeup artist takes too. Takes pictures. So it, they work together. All right. Well, you know what? It's time for the Bing Crosby Show. This was a musical variety show. You know about Bing Crosby, right? I Harry sure do. Lillis Bing Crosby, who was born May 3rd, 1903, one year after you. Yep. His trademark bass baritone made him one of the best-selling recording artists of the 20th century with over a half a billion records in circulation. He was the first multimedia star. From 1931 through 1954, he was the leader in record sales, radio ratings, and motion picture grosses. And he won an Academy Award for Best Actor as Father O'Malley in Going My Way in 1944. His biggest hit, you know what it was, Lisa? What? Irving Berlin's.
1: Oh, oh, White Christmas.
3: White Christmas, very good. More than 100 million copies sold. And his radio career began in 1931, lasted until 1962, and he was on TV from 1950 until 1965. He died in 1977, very young age, of only 74 years of age. Bing Crosby. We have. An episode for you now from December 11, 1950. To Bing Crosby stars. His guests are Rosemary Clooney and Joe Venuti. This is sponsored by General Electric. Part one now of the Bing Crosby Show. When the blue of the night meets the gold
1: of the day, someone. The for me.
4: This is Ken Carpenter welcoming you to the Bing Crosby Show, brought to you by General Electric Company, makers of famous dependable kitchen and home laundry appliances. Produced and transcribed in Hollywood with John Scott Trotter and his orchestra, Judd Collins with the mayors and Bing's guests, Miss Rosemary Clooney and Mr. Joe Venuti. And now, here's Mr. Bing Crosby. Thank you.
10: Thank you, Mr. Ken Carpenter. We're pretty formal this evening, aren't we? We certainly got a lot of show here tonight, too.
1: you're mine, the brightest star I see, looks down my love and envies me, because you're mine,
0: because you're mine,
1: because you're mine. The breeze that hurries by Becomes a melody And why? Because you're mine Because That you alone can give me And when we kiss That isn't thunder, dear It's only my poor heart you hear And it's applause Because
10: Thank you, thank you very, very much. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present a gal who's sung up a storm in practically every conceivable medium, TV, records, radio. She's knocking everybody out from coast to coast. Not only that, she'll soon be seen as the star of Paramount's forthcoming picture, The Stars Are Singing, Miss Rosemary Clooney. (laughs) Hi, Bing. Hi, Rosemary. What are you going to start off with this eve? Well, I thought I'd sing Who Kissed Me Last Night. Nice choice. Candidly, Rosemary. I've played that record of yours so much, I know every note of it.
8: Well, then why don't you sing it? It's
10: a bad key for me. Besides, I'm more the teddy bear's picnic type. I yield to youth and talents. Go, Rosie.
5: Last night, if I only knew, during the masquerade, who kissed me last night? So different, so new. Now I'm bewildered. Afraid I'm in love with a stranger who's gone, whose kiss was such delight. Who kissed me last night? I must find the one. The Afraid I'm in love with a stranger who's gone, whose kiss was such delight. Who kissed me last night? I must find the one.
10: Nice up,
0: Rosemary. Thank
10: you, sir. Rosemary, when you were here with us last week, we got so involved with other things, I forgot to check you on what's happening with your spectacular movie career. I see you around Paramount all the time. What picture are you working in?
8: Oh, I'm doing a picture with Bob Hope now.
10: Oh, what a pity. <laughs> At your age and already on the skids. <laughs> What's it called, huh?
8: It's called Here Come the Girls.
10: Here Come the Girls?
8: Yes. And Tony Martin's in it, too.
10: Well, that's why the girls are coming.
0: <laughs>
8: I
10: know Rob couldn't arouse Tugboat Annie, Ma Kettle, or Broadway Rose, to name a few.
0: <laughs> or Ken Murray's Elder Lovely, shall we say? <laughs>
5: you know, being Tony Martin, sings beautifully.
10: Yeah, let's stick to hope, huh? <laughs> I guess that's quite a picture, though. I've been hearing about the budget and everything, big Technicolor musical. Say, isn't Arlene Dahl in this picture, too? Boy, what a dish this is. Mm.
8: I thought we were talking about Hope.
10: Mm. (laughs) So we were.
8: You and uh, Bob and Dottie Lamore have a picture coming out pretty soon, don't you, Bing?
10: Oh, yes, The Road to Ballet. It's going to be released around Christmas time.
8: Well, Christmas is the time for turkeys. (laughs)
10: Martin and Lewis will never admit it, Rosemary, but this isn't a turkey. They actually they actually say, I mean, unbiased, unprejudiced critics claim that there's some laughs in it.
5: Oh, I'm sure of that. Really,
10: though, Rose, I don't think I should do any more comedies. I've been thinking, I hunger for a dramatic piece, you know, something gripping, something stark and real.
5: Well, look who's gone dragnet on us. <laughs> <laughs> can't
0: help it,
10: Rosemary. I just feel the urge for the drama. And so does Hope. He's the, in the same mind. We're thinking of doing the film version of... Uh, Ernest Hemingway's great story. Have you read it? The Old Man and the Sea.
8: The Old Man mm. uh-huh. and the Sea is really dramatic. How are you going to cast it?
10: Oh, it's, it works out very nicely. I'm going to be the old man. Hope's playing the part of the swordfish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't you th-
10: He's got the bill for it, don't you think?
0: <laughs>
10: all we need to do now is get him a pair of fins and a tail. He's all ready to snap at the base. <laughs> About this picture when we come to it, Rosemary. Right now I think uh, I think we ought to blend in the song, Two to the Tango or something like that.
7: Okay, let's give it a whirl.
10: You lead, Yolanda.
0: <laughs> it takes
5: two to tango, two to tango, two to really get the feeling of romance. Let's do the tango, do the tango. Do the dance of
10: love You can sail on a ship by yourself
5: Take a nap or a nip by yourself
10: You can get into debt on your own There are lots of things that you can do alone Two, three, four, one, two
5: But it takes two to tango Two to tango Get the feeling of romance, let's do
10: the tango, do the tango, do the dance of love.
5: You can croon to the moon by yourself,
1: you can laugh like a loon by yourself,
5: spend a lot, go to pot on your own, there are lots of things
0: that
10: you can do alone, but it takes do the tango,
5: do the tango do to really get the feeling of romance Let's do the tango,
10: do the tango Do the dance of love Well, you can heart and, and hug by yourself
5: Be a man or a mouse by yourself
10: You can act like a king on a throne There are lots of things that you can do alone Oh, but it to takes To the tango To the tango
5: To the really get the feeling of romance Let's do the tango Do the tango Do
10: the dance of love Do the tango Do the dance of love
3: that was wonderful, Rosemary. A lot of fun. That's the first portion of the Bing Crosby Show from 1952. More of Hollywood 360 after these words
2: more hollywood 360 after these important
3: messages and now back to hollywood 360 with carl amari next time it's the conclusion to the bing crosby show with bing and his guests rosemary clooney and joe venuti from 1952 then it's a good drama on now hear this from 1951 that's next time here on hollywood 360 we'll see you then